All right, Luke chapter 18, as we're in the second week of our series, Prayer According to Jesus. We're doing four of these messages, and then we'll dive into Psalms for the summer, which is right around the corner. I'm excited about that. So, so Luke chapter 18, I want to know, have you ever wanted to quit? Have you ever had something in your life that you wanted to quit? Now, I don't mean something that you looked forward to quitting, like when I was in junior high and I finally got to quit piano lessons. You know, like, yeah! Uh, I never practiced piano as much until I quit. Then I was like, oh, I can do this because it's fun and it's interesting. But something that you hate, we, we all like to quit things we hate, like concession stand duty if you've got a kid in soccer. Uh, that's the worst. I, like, bi- purgatory isn't a biblical concept, but if it was, concession stand duty would be it, you know? Getting out of that is like, yeah, I quit! I'm not talking about that. Have you ever just quit because there was something in your life you wanted to do but couldn't achieve it and you finally just gave up? Like, maybe it was a pursuit of a particular job or a career or a position. Maybe it was a dream of something you had. Maybe it was an education. You've been trying to pursue your education and things just keep getting in the way. Maybe it's a diet (laughs) or or some kind of personal goal like you wanted to read a classic, like Moby Dick. I did that. You don't need to do that. It's okay. But, uh, you know, maybe there was some kind of goal uh, that you had, and you just finally, I quit. I want to do this, but I can't. I can't achieve it. Have you ever wanted to give up on something like that? How about prayer? Have you ever thought, Man, prayer, it's such a good thing. I know I'm supposed to do it. I know it's part of being a Christian, but man, it's just so hard. I just quit. Maybe you downloaded the Echo Prayer app or bought a book on prayer. Maybe you made it a goal to get up 10 minutes earlier every day and and devote that to prayer, but you know, the reality is you slept in or your little kid somehow got up early and, you know, they don't understand the concept of quiet prayer time and they're jumping all over you. And finally, you just say, I quit. I'm going to work. Have you ever had that when it comes to prayer? Today, I want you to know that kingdom-minded prayer takes persistence. Don't quit. Kingdom-minded prayer takes persistence. Don't quit. So we're in our series, Prayer According to Jesus, uh, A couple years ago, we did a series called Pray Like Jesus, where we took the Lord's Prayer and we spent time learning to pray the Lord's Prayer together. But this time, as we think of it, this is more about the teachings of Jesus on prayer. Last week, we talked about prayer meaning trust. Prayer is about knowing God. Today, we want to talk about praying with persistence. You see, prayer is the key weapon in the kingdom work to which we are called. But kingdom work takes time, so don't give up. Kingdom-minded prayer takes persistence. Don't quit. Do you want to experience trust and intimacy with God like we discussed last week? Who wouldn't want that, right? Do you want your prayer life to flourish? Well, today we're going to look at Jesus' teaching on persistent prayer. And it's important that we establish context. Whenever we read the Bible, whenever we look at the Bible, context is really important. You can point to a verse in the Bible and and take it out of context and make the Bible say just about anything you want it to say. But context is always important. As we look at Luke 18, it's important to understand Jesus' teachings on prayer to put it in context. And so our, our first point today, really, about praying with persistence, 
a flourishing prayer life, about developing this flourishing prayer life, our first point is really context. And, and the first simple idea that you should know about praying with persistence, about flourishing in your prayer life, is that first of all, persistence is about kingdom work. We need to persist in kingdom work. Okay, let's look at chapter 7 here. Just go back from our passage today, chapter 17 rather. Uh, and, and as we go back at chapter 17, we need to know what Jesus has been talking about. Remember that the Bible wasn't written with verses and chapters in it. Those are added a millennia later almost, uh, just as a reference point for us. Sometimes we see a chapter break and we forget that there's something right before that. And so we want to see context. And what we're going to see is prayer is about persistence in kingdom work. And so in the context of all this, the Pharisees had been asking Jesus about the kingdom of God. When is the kingdom of God going to come? They had this notion that Jesus, at least they, they thought he thought that he was somehow, a tie, uh, somehow tied to the messianic prophecies of old. But they couldn't quite figure out how and whether they should listen to Jesus or completely ignore him. So they asked him straight up, chapter 17, verse 20. Once, having been asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the kingdom of God does not come with your careful observation. You see, Jesus doesn't say, you know, there'll be a comet on May 20 or August 29th. How's that? There's going to be a comet coming this August 29th, and that will inaugurate the kingdom of God. He doesn't have any dates. He doesn't assign times. He doesn't assign signs. The, the Pharisees are looking, give me a symbol or a sign that it's going to come. Rather, Jesus says, you missed it. Look at verse 20 of chapter 7. He's telling the Pharisees, you missed the kingdom of God. You missed the coming of it. Chapter 20, he said, or verse 20, rather, he says, The kingdom of God does not come with your careful observation, nor will people say, Here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is among you. The kingdom of God is among you. Oh, this is important because the Pharisees didn't grasp this concept that God's kingdom was right then, was among them. They've been looking for it to come, and, and he, Jesus is saying, Hey, it's already here. There's two aspects of God's kingdom. There's the first coming in Jesus, the first advent of Jesus, and that inaugurated the kingdom of God where sin and death and Satan were defeated through the resurrection of Jesus. And this is, in essence, the message of the gospel that we cling to here, that we cling to in this place that Jesus Christ died for our sins in our place, and he rose from the dead victorious, defeating sin and Satan, defeating death. And he inaugurated this invasion force of the kingdom of God in this world. Now, the second aspect of God's kingdom is still future. Jesus will come again, fully vanquishing sin and death, instituting the full advent of God's kingdom, and he physically reigns on this earth as our king. To the Pharisees, he just, Jesus said, listen, you missed it. And, and this is all setting the context for prayer. Listen to how important it is. Jesus says the kingdom is right now. We're waiting for the fullness of God's kingdom to be established. In the meantime, we work, and we work hard. Jesus says, don't give up. While injustice is served up all around you and God's people are treated miserably, it won't be that way forever. Justice is coming, Jesus says. And then look, verse 37. After saying all that, the last thing they says, the disciples say, where, Lord? They ask. He replied, where there is a dead body, 
there the vultures will gather. Well, that's kind of weird. <laughs> what a weird thing for Jesus to say. Now, Jesus is just saying this is the power of the kingdom of God. When Jesus comes back and sets his reign on this earth, when the kingdom work that he has been doing is established fully in his reign, it will be like sin and death and Satan are dead carcasses to be eaten by vultures. That's how complete the kingdom victory will be. But right now it's hard. If you're going to experience flourishing life of prayer, and let's be honest, prayer is key to the kingdom work that God has called you and I to. It's the key weapon in this. If we're going to flourish in this, you and I must prioritize the kingdom work of God in our lives. You see, intimacy with God depends on having our hearts transformed to reflect God's heart. See, the right understanding of our role in the kingdom of God puts everything into perspective, especially prayer. Otherwise, we end up praying for all the wrong things, don't we? Have you ever wondered why God doesn't seem to answer our prayers? If we live for the kingdom, we're going to experience opposition and we're going to experience injustice. In particular, as we fight for justice amongst those who are oppressed. When we understand the role of the kingdom, prayer becomes essential. If we're working for the day when Jesus' enemies, sin and death, are completely vanquished, that day when it's like dead bodies and vultures, when there's nothing left except that, if we're working for that, prayer is the essential weapon. See, Jesus is saying this is why in the context that he's setting for us today, prayer is so important. Because it's not just about getting what you want. It's about getting what you want in terms of the kingdom work of God. Be persistent in kingdom work. That sets the context for our next thing, is to be persistent in prayer. If you want to flourish, you have to understand the context of our passage today. It's all about kingdom work. And the prayers of persistence that Jesus said are all about for the kingdom work of him, of God's kingdom. We need to persist in prayer. A flourishing life of prayer means, first of all, persistence in kingdom work. Secondly, persistence in prayer itself. And this is where we get to our passage today. Persistence in prayer. Now that we're praying for the right things, Jesus wants to encourage us because he knows how difficult it is going to be for us. Prayer is the key weapon, and don't quit. And so Jesus tells a parable to illustrate it. And look, he says it right away. Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. Here's the, what's a parable? Well, remember, a parable is a made-up story. This, Jesus doesn't pretend that this really happened. He's making up a story, a parable to illustrate a point. Uh, we just did this. Uh, we just talked about a parable at my dinner table with my little ones the other day. They asked me, tell me the story of the boy who cried wolf. So I told them the story, and I embellished it, and it was great. The, boy, the story of the boy who cried wolf. Why do we tell people that? Well, it's a parable. I imagine that that wasn't a real story, that maybe, I don't know. But the whole idea, it's a parable. That's what Jesus is doing for us here. He tells us a parable of a persistent widow. Look at what the text says. Then Jesus told the disciples a parable that showed that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. And there was a widow in the town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. Okay, we need some uh, cultural context here to understand what's going on. 
In the first century, this story Jesus told was pulled right out of real life. And the first thing you need to understand about first century Jewish justice system is that there was no prosecutor, there was no district attorney, there was no advocate on the behalf of someone. If you had a problem with someone else, if there was a dispute, you had the responsibility to bring it before the judge. So if someone did injustice against me, someone did a crime against me, it was my responsibility to take it before a judge. Now, we have to understand, if someone did you wrong and you brought it before the judge, there was no jury. There was just a simple, the judge goes, I think you're the winner. I think you're the winner of this case. There wasn't even necessarily, uh, like we have, a precedent or an imperative that the judge would obey a law. I mean, the judge just got to pick the winner. And so it was my responsibility to bring my case before a judge. Now, when we think of of a, a judge, we think of a courtroom with fancy floors and a judge wearing a robe and a building dedicated for this purpose. And that's not the way it worked in first century Israel. Um, a judge would be in a tent. It was a mobile tent, so he could oversee justice in his district, for lack of a better term. He would tra- the tent would travel. And they would pull the sides of the tent up. The only people that were allowed in the tent were those who had been invited to come in and present their case before the judge. Now, anybody could watch People would stand around the edges of the tent and along the outside, and they could watch what was going on. But, but the only people that could go in the tent were those who had been invited. Well, how did someone get invited? Well, the judge usually had a lackey, someone who worked for him, roaming around outside. And if you presented what you wanted to talk about to the thug, <laughs> to the muscle, and he said, okay, you can go in, you could go in. Now, how did you get the guy to let you in? Well, usually you got to bribe him. Usually there's got to be a little kickback so you can even get in the tent. Now, that is the situation that Jesus talks about. What happens if you can't bribe the muscle? Now, think about this. In the first century, a woman in Jesus' day, really, culture dictated she had very little legal standing. Uh, she relied, she, and she had really no means to, to earn income for herself. She relied completely on her husband to have a job, to make an income, to provide for the family. So which made it really difficult for a widow in Jesus' day with no social security, no disability system. For a woman whose husband died, she was left destitute. No way to take care of her children, no means of income. She was left to beg. And so while the Old Testament required that people take care of widows, oftentimes that requirement just got ignored. That sets the stage for the scenario in this parable. We have a widow who is on top, uh, on top of her horrible situation in life. She's been left without a means to provide for herself and her potential children. She has no husband to take care of her. There was no system in place. That sets the, the scene And she had no money with which she could bribe the guy to get in and see the judge. And so in Jesus' parable, he's saying, this woman is saying, wants to say to the judge, hey, I need you to protect me. I need you to advocate for me. The message translates her words, 
protect me. My rights are being violated. Something bad is happening to me, and I need the judge to do this, but I have no means to go before him. No money, no way. Her solution to this problem is to be an obnoxious pest. That is her solution. Look at what the text says. This judge for some time refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care about men, this widow keeps bothering me. I will see that she gets justice so that she'll, or else she'll eventually wear me out with her coming. Now, you can imagine what this woman does. Hey, 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 she stands out the tent. Hey, listen to me. Hey, give me justice. Hey, oh, it's driving everybody crazy. So eventually the thugs kind of throw her out, throw her away from the tent. The next day she comes back, you know. Hey, hey, it's driving him crazy. He can't hear this. Oh, so they get her out again. Finally, you know, she, they, she just shows up one day and they, they kick her out, right, before she can start screaming. So then she's hiding in the bushes, you know. You can imagine her coming in full disguise, right? Hey, listen to me. Oh, it's driving the judge crazy. Just be quiet. That's all he wants. He wants his peace. The judge is thinking, I don't care a bit about this woman. I don't care about justice. I really don't care about God at all. I don't even like God, but she is driving me crazy. Get in here, lady. Let's take care of this so you just leave me alone. And Jesus said that prayer is like this. How easily do you give up on prayer? Do you persist? Or do you pray once and then say, well, see, God didn't hear me anyway. He just doesn't care about me. Are you a fatalist? Maybe you say, okay, okay, God knows everything and I don't need to pray. He's going to do what he wants anyway and so just forget it. We're just so prone to quitting. We're so prone to it. Jesus gives us an example of a widow that refused to quit. This is all the only means she had. And in reality, you and I are in this place, just the same place as that widow. Because while we probably think we have money or credit cards that can solve our problems, in reality, every one of us is dependent on an almighty God. And let's persist. Don't quit. Um, So I have taught a lot of kids to drive over the years. And uh, I asked Anna if I could share this illustration this day. She agreed to it instead of like last week where I just did it without permission. She forgave me. She said she did anyway. All right. So uh, when I was teaching Anna to drive, she's my third kid I taught to drive. I have a stick, a manual transmission. So if my kids are going to learn to drive with me, they got to learn to drive a stick. When Anna turned 14, she had got a little experience on uh, the mom's van and the automatic transmission. And one day I picked her up from school. And we were late. The parking lot was pretty empty. I was late to getting her. And, and I said, hey, you, you want to try out the manual transmission? And she goes, okay. So we do a few laps around the parking lot. She kills it like seven times, as anybody would, learning to drive a clutch. And, and so, and finally she's like, okay, I think I'm done. I'm like, okay, well, just, just drive over to that stop sign over there. And so she goes, and I'm like, well, just take a right here. And and so she kills it, and we get out on the road, and, and she's like, when can I stop? I'm like, oh, you're doing great. Just keep going. 
And so she gets to the intersection of Warrior Lane and Hickman Road at 4 o'clock in the afternoon, and, uh, and the light turns green, and she kills it right smack in the middle of Hickman and Warrior Lane. And then so she starts it, and she kills it, and she starts it, and she kills it. And she's like, Dad, what did you do to me? And I am laughing my head off, right? I can't even, she's like, what should I do? I can't even respond. I'm laughing so hard. And the thing's like a bucking bronco in the middle of the thing, you know? And, and, and she's dying and she's so mad at me and I can't even, finally cars are just driving around us, you know? Like, and so we get through the intersection and I made her drive home and she gets home and she slams the door and she's so mad at me. And to be honest, I didn't prepare her at all. Like, I, I didn't even tell her. What, I was just horrible. It was just a terrible dad moment, right? And so she gets out. She's so mad. She says, I'm never driving a stick ever again. And she quit. Except she didn't. Two weeks later, she goes, I think I'm ready to try again, Dad. I was way better the second time, okay? <laughs> way more patient. We went out to a road where no one was, and we started on this process. And all of a sudden, she's like always wanting to drive wherever we go, and she's loving it, and she gets good at it. And, you know, she's 16 now, and the time came to get her a used car. And as we were looking at older used cars, she was like, it has to be a stick. That's all I care. Automatics are so boring. I want a stick. All right. She didn't quit. She didn't quit. She didn't give up. She persisted because there was a desire that she had to drive with me that was deeper than her desire to quit. She kept it up. Friends, that's persistence. Back to A.W. Tozer again. I quoted him last week. Pray until you pray. Pray until you pray. Do you just throw it up there and say, oh, God must not really care about me. We'll give him one shot. What if he wants you to wrestle with something? There was a dear woman at a former church of mine. Uh, her husband did not believe in Jesus. He, he said, you know, he didn't care. She went to church, but he wasn't going. He wasn't touching this thing. She was married for 50 years to, to this guy. And, and she would tell, every week, she'd say, will you pray for my husband? I'm praying for my husband. Will you pray for my husband? I want him to come to know Jesus, to repent of his sins, to, to embrace the gospel of the risen Christ. And, and so we would pray with her, and, you know, and, and she would just persist and persist and persist. I got a message a few years back that her husband had died. Uh, and I saw her at an event, and she said, you know what, six months before he died, he repented of his sin and believed in Jesus. I mean, she prayed for him for like 50 years. That is persistence. Why does God not instantly answer our requests? Why must we persist in prayer? Is God evil? No, but the kingdom of God runs on dependence. God is not our genie or our butler. We're dependent on God. He is not dependent on us. Another word for this dependence is faith. And that takes us to our third point today. Persistence in faith. Persistence in faith. There are some images in this parable that, first of all, seem troubling to us. Namely, the judge who cares nothing about, who cares about nothing but himself. Uh, this is in the parable the comparison to God. The, just, the judge who cares nothing about justice, who cares nothing about this woman, who is just annoyed and finally gives her justice because he's annoyed. In this parable, it appears that that is the image of the Heavenly Father. That's troubling. It should be troubling to you. Is God unjust? 
Well, look what Jesus says. And the Lord said, he's going to explain his parable now. Verse 6, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Is God unjust? Jesus is using a form of, um, a form of speech here, a, ty- a type of argument that we know called a lesser to the greater. If this is true with a lesser thing, how much more true would it be with something greater? If this is true with an unjust judge, how much more true will this be with a just God who loves you? Imagine this scenario. You have a six-year-old, and you're teaching her to swim, and she's terrified. So you're sta- standing in the pool, and she's standing at the edge of the, wa- edge of the pool, and you're just trying to get her to jump to you. And she's terrified. No, I can't do that. I'm going to drown. And you're like, come on, do it. And as you're sitting there trying to convince her just to jump to you in the water, a little three-year-old boy comes running by her, boom, goes headlong in the water and swims to the other side. And you say to your six-year-old daughter, if a three-year-old can do it, surely you can do it. The lesser to the greater. That's all Jesus is doing here. He's setting a parable. If this is true of, the, of an unjust judge, how much more true of a God who loves you? So if we're going to persist in faith, we need to ask some questions of ourselves here as we put all of this together about persisting in kingdom work, persisting in prayer, persisting in faith. We need to ask some hard questions of ourselves. First of all, we should a- ask the, analyze the motives of our prayers. Do they really surround kingdom work or do they surround our own comfort? Do they surround kingdom work or do they surround our own comfort? Well, how do I know if my prayer is, uh, is kingdom-minded? Well, okay, there are some things that sometimes it's difficult to know, but a lot of times we know, right? For instance, let's say I pray, God, I would like a Lamborghini, a blue Lamborghini that is exactly the color of the Cubs, right? There there you go. I would like a blue Lamborghini, cubby blue, all right? Hey, God, if I just persist, hey, 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 keep praying, 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 finally God's going to go, hey, there you go. Okay, I'll give you your blue Lamborghini. Well, I think I can honestly say that that's probably not good for kingdom work. Actually, that might be really bad for kingdom work, right? If I just look at the motive, do I want this for kingdom work? It's like a televangelist that says, well, I need my personal jet to do, you know, a lot of this traveling and things like that so I can do more work. Come on, give me a break. Do you want it for you or for kingdom work? See, be careful. Just because you don't get the answer to your prayer does not mean that you asked with the wrong motive. Well, there's another one too. We, we love to reduce everything to a formula. Okay, I prayed and God said, yes, it must have been with the right motive. He said, no, I must have been asking with the wrong motive. Well, that doesn't hold up either. I have prayed, I, I have foot pain. It's one of the reasons I wear Birkenstocks because they were great for my feet. But I prayed a lot. God, take my foot pain away. Hadn't taken it away yet. 
Uh, there's a civil war going on in one, in, our, in one of the countries that we had formerly invested our time in, sending two teams a year to work there. There's a civil war going on in that country, and we haven't been able to get back, and people are hurting. And I have prayed regularly, God, bring an end to the civil war. Open up the doors of this country. Relieve the hurting and pain there. It's still going on. Christians are still dying all over the world. Churches are dying in, in America. Did you know eight to 10,000 churches close their door every year in this country? Americans aren't going to church anymore. 40% of Americans say they go to church, but the stats show only 20% actually go. Well, this, God, what are you doing? But this is why we persist in kingdom prayers. If God says no to one kingdom prayer, we keep fighting and praying for something else. Persistence matters because we have faith in Jesus. It's the motive behind our prayers. We have biblical examples of God saying no to kingdom-minded prayers. Think of the Apostle Paul. Paul said that he had a thorn in his flesh that prohibited him and made ministry difficult. And he prayed, God, take this away. A lot of people, he doesn't tell us what it was. A lot of scholars think it was some kind of physical ailment that prevented him or hindered him in ministry. And he prayed, God, take this away. And God answered him and said, no. What? Well, that doesn't make any sense if it hindered ministry. Why wouldn't God take it away? And God said, my faith, my grace rather, is sufficient for you. God said, by the way, your kingdom ministry is more effective with your thorn in the flesh than without it, because it's dependent upon me. Hmm. Jesus said, let this, pass, this cup pass from me in the garden. Imagine the work that Jesus could have continued to do had he not been crucified. Like if he just kept going, kept being a rabbi. It's certainly not sinful to pray that we avoid suffering. But Jesus said, even in the garden, not my will, but yours. One way to figure out our motive is, are we okay if God tells us no? And do we look in the no for more kingdom work and kingdom opportunities? We should pray with the right motive. Second thing we should do is pray for justice. There's an application. As you analyze your prayers, are you praying with the right motive? Are you praying for justice? Part of that means, come Lord Jesus, right? <laughs> we should be praying vigorously for Jesus to come back and finally defeat sin and Satan. We should be praying vigorously. Now, most people I know don't really want Jesus to come back. I got too many things to accomplish in life. I got too many things I still want to do. As if life will be worse when he comes back. No, 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 no. Life's going to be better. Whatever you want to do that you haven't been able to accomplish yet, it's going to be better in the kingdom when the kingdom is fully here. You get in the kingdom now an opportunity to work on these things. Guess what it's going to be like when sin is vanquished? Pray, Jesus, come back. When people are suffering from totalitarian rulers, pray for justice. When people are suffering at the hands of local authorities, pray for justice. When Christians are being tortured in countries around the world, pray for justice. When the effects when this even affects the way we view current events, think about this for a second. When we see examples of women being oppressed and abused, we should pray for justice. When racial minorities are being mistreated, we should pray for justice. Objection. You say, hey, Dave, wait a minute. Prayer is not enough. We can't just pray for justice. We got to go be, be justice. And, and I, I would say, yes, I agree with that. But it starts with prayer. 
It starts with prayer. God is not an unjust judge. He loves people. Pray for justice. And then, then the last question we should ask ourselves is, is, do we quit praying? Do we quit praying? Ultimate justice happens when Jesus comes back. And there's also a sense in which God gives justice to his people right now. And pray for this. And don't quit. So tie this all together. Look at verse 1 and how it ties to verse 8. Then Jesus told them this parable, why they shouldn't give up, why they should keep praying. Then verse 8, I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Don't quit praying. Will he find faith? These two concepts come together. And Jesus says, don't lose heart. Don't give up. Keep your faith. In other words, if you keep praying, if you are persistent in your prayers, it's because you believe God. Will Jesus find faith? In other words, will you have quit? And so we come back to this. Don't lose heart. The King James Version says, don't faint. Don't faint. That word uh, brings to mind a story about the first time that I ever gave blood. I was in college. I was 19 years old. I walked down the street in Chicago two blocks to the local blood center, and I'm like, I'm going to give blood. I'm 19. It's about time that I help our, our society. It's a good thing to do. I'm going to give blood. Got in there, sat down, did all the paperwork, sat down in the chair. The lady comes, puts the, I hope I don't cause anyone to pass out, uh, puts the needle in my arm, and I watched the blood come out of my arm and go into the bag. There was this interesting experience that happened to me. As I watched the blood come out of my arm, I could feel the life force draining from my body. <laughs> I was like, oh, all the blood is coming out. I'm going to die. The next thing I know, there's a gentle like tapping on my face, and there's all these people around me. What goes on? And this, this nurse, she goes, oh, sweetie, you passed out. Oh. Well, did I, did, I, did, I get, did I accomplish the task? Did I fill the bag? And she just laughed. She goes, sweet, it didn't even make it to the bag. <laughs> oh. All right. Now, to, to be honest, I have a thing with passing out in blood. I learned just don't look. You know, Clarissa was in the ER once, and I passed out. Like, I'm not, I'm not kidding you. I got a thing. But I'm determined I'm not going to let that happen. I was determined. So uh, a little while later, I... I I took, uh, I went back, I was determined. I took Clarissa with me, we were dating at the time, and, and, uh, and, uh, and I didn't look, and, uh, and I kept breathing, and I was like, I'm going to do this, and I, and, I, and I gave the blood, and I sat down at the little table afterwards with the, the little cookies, you know, and the thing, trying to, and all of a sudden, Clarissa's sitting there, and she looks at me, and she goes, you, Dave, you don't, you don't look so good, and you know that feeling, like if you ever, like the, the black from the edges starts coming in to the middle, and I could feel I was going to pass out. Um, no, I am not passing out. And so I started breathing carefully, and I opened my eyes as wide as I could, and, and the, in that tunnel I kept coming closer and closer together, and finally my vision disappeared. I couldn't see anything. But I was determined I was not going to pass out, and I kept talking to Clarissa the whole time, and then whoop, the vision came back, and I did it, and I survived, and I made it. And I just think that sometimes in life there are things that we have to fight for. 
There are things that we have to say, I desire this more than whatever difficulty or hardship is in my way, and we gotta pray, and we gotta be persistent. You can see, kingdom-minded prayer takes persistence, and we really believe that God is not an unjust God, but he is a just God who loves us and wants to somehow use our prayers to accomplish his kingdom work because they are the key weapon. If we really have faith and really believe that, we won't quit. Kingdom-minded prayer takes persistence. Don't quit. Do it. We have in our prayers, this opportunity to come before the throne of God. Jesus, we find in Hebrews says, we can come before the throne of grace. We get through Jesus' access to the Father. Don't quit. Pray. Let's do that as we close. Heavenly Father, we ask, God, that you would help us to persist in prayer, that you would help us to joyfully, to rejoice in your presence, but not to quit and give up. Let us find a deeper desire than any obstacle that comes in our way to be used by you to make an eternal difference, to pray. Let us not quit. Let us persist. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.